There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action this week is Adam DeColibus, founder of Third Line Publishing and the author of the forthcoming book, Caravan. Welcome, Adam. Hey, thanks so much, man. Thanks for having me on. So I think uh, there's so many different ways that, that, that I could ask Centauri to try to stump him, but... I know that I have two like-minded people on the call because Adam Centauri, I believe, was a creative writing major in college, and so I think he's probably got a million questions for you. Mm, wow, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> It'll be good. I'm also like I, – I was one of the kids that started, interestingly enough, started college as an economics, mathematics double major, and then after one year, I was like, well, that's not going to work out. Uh, <laughs> took a creative writing class on a whim, and then – uh, haven't looked back since. So glad to have a writer on. That's awesome, man. You you found the path. Yeah. So Adam, um, how long have you considered yourself to be a writer? Has that always happened, or did the the light bulb just turn on one day? Well, um, to answer that question, I I've always been a writer. I've been writing stories since I was about four or five years old. I I don't know exactly when, but just about as early as I can remember. But I'd say I consider myself a writer. Um, when I was about 13 years old, I, I made a commitment that I wanted to be an author, that I wanted to write books. And uh, kind of like your co-host, I, I haven't looked back since. Got it. And you know what? I'm, that That's going to give me an opportunity to rattle Centauri's cage because I think that he's looked back a couple of times. But who knows? Who, who, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I will so. say, Adam, you actually have done something with it. I have not published. <laughs> I have not. I have not published anything since I was twenty-one. So Fair maybe this will give wow. me the impetus to do that. Yes. Well, hey, that's awesome, man. Publishing is publishing. So good on you for that, man. That's awesome. So, and and I think that that's that is a great segue. I, I know that Centauri and I are both very interested in digging into. Uh, the actual book itself and and narrative and crafty narrative and the value of it and how everybody can apply that. But before we do that, let's let's talk a little bit about publishing because you, you also founded a publishing company. And in today's world when when it seems like everybody I look on LinkedIn is a best-selling author on Amazon because you can self-publish and, and manipulate that quite a bit, tell us a little bit about why it is you decided to start a publishing company and what that experience has been like. Yeah, so um, when I when I finished the novel, I I really didn't have any idea how I was going to publish it. I just wrote it because it was uh, something that was really close to my heart. And when I was done, I had this big novel and no way to get it out there. And I felt just like this existential dread. And so I started uh, I started doing some research on how to publish. And my original um, my original game plan was I was going to go get an agent, get a traditional publisher, and go through them. And then I started hearing uh, this term indie publishing, uh, independent publishing come up and it just kind of piqued my interest and I started doing some research on it. And the more I started, um, I was super close to uh, submitting to an agent when I actually decided to put a pause on it and do some more research because it was really interesting. And the more I compared, the more I realized, wow, okay, you keep a lot more of what you make 
you have a lot more freedom. And either way you go, you're going to have to do uh, virtually just as much marketing, whether you go uh, traditionally or independently. And I thought, you know what? I like to know what my book cover is going to look like. I like to know how much it's going to be priced. And I like to have a lot of control over it because, you know, I feel like when you make a book, it's like, it's your baby. And I, you know, I don't know what everybody's views is on babysitting, but you know, if I, if I had a choice between taking care of my kid or having somebody else do it, I'd rather take care of it. So um, I decided to go independent um, with the publishing route. And uh, the experience so far has been awesome. Um, I found that there's just the community is so um well first of all it's a self uh self what do you call it it feeds off of itself so a lot of publishers are also readers um and they also do other jobs like making book covers or marketing themselves um so i just found that going independent was a choice that just works for who i am as a person and um you know maybe it may not be the most um may not make you feel very proud because you don't have an actual publisher. You're, you're going to Amazon and a lot of other companies. The The good part of it is, is that you're able to still reach people the way you want to. And, and you have a lot more control of it, which I think is huge. Adam, can you talk to us a little bit about, um, that's really cool, but I think probably a lot of folks want to know, like from soup to nuts, how does it go? Do you have content? Do you upload, like, what does it look like from, I have a book finished to there's a book out there. Well, there's, there's so many different ways of uh, writing books and also differentiates if you're doing nonfiction or if you're doing uh, fiction or if you're doing uh, incredibly deep uh, academic work on lung cancer or whatever. Um, and that's what's awesome about books is that it's completely up to you um, and up to the process. So when I finish a book, um, and that in and of itself is a wild process, I do a couple of drafts, uh, a lot of re-editing. Um, I, I have an editor go through it. And then I go back and forth with the editor a couple, uh, editor a couple times, and we work on structure. On uh, uh, so the, the book is fiction; it's historical fiction, and we go through on maybe some uh, inaccuracies or some research that we could uh, put in to make the story a little bit more uh, believable, a little bit more accurate, um, as well as enticing. And it's really in the editing process and in the second draft that. Um, we, we bring it to life and we make it uh, something that people can read and enjoy. Um, so in that, in that editing phase, I go back and forth with the editor. And while that's happening, I hire a, a cover designer and I, I start thinking about fonts and about formatting and what, what size of trim I'm going to go with. So it's really um, it's really a multitasking process <laughs> that uh, it'll, it'll test you in a lot of ways if you're thinking about doing it, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and like I said, you, know, you have a lot more control than you think. Uh, you, know, you can even choose an editor that's good with you. If you go with a company, you don't get to choose a, uh, uh, if you go traditional, you don't get to choose uh, the editor. So it's awesome. Um, so once the book is edited, I get it formatted. Um, I get uh, uh, I get galleys either from Amazon or Ingram Spark, um, but Ingram Spark is a little bit more affordable. And uh, from there, I get the Moby file done on the uh, ebook, and I, I publish. Boom! There it is. I love it. So from yeah. from start to finish, how 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 long did it take? Well, this book so this book was a wild ride. Um, this book took me six years to write. Um, the first couple of years was just 
getting it down. Uh, I didn't even think about editing. And this book was the first book I'd ever written. And I'd never, I'd never even finished a first story, uh, a short story in my life. And the reason why it took so long is because I was just putting out everything I possibly had. I, when I went to the page, I attacked it. I was uh, writing about 3,000 words a day. Um, and yeah, just off of that, that kept me busy for uh, a couple of years. And then, like I said, I had that uh, pause of, okay, now what do I do? And that took about a year and a half. And since then, it's been uh, working on editing and formatting and uh, just, you know, doing the final tweaks before uh, getting it set to go. But now learning these lessons, um, I, I know that when I, when I publish this next book, it's, it's going to be a much smoother process. What was your um, what was your writing process? Were you a person that just sat down for two hours at a time, marked off just that time of your day, or was it much more um, kind of sporadic than that? Like, how intentional were you at writing? It was it was very intentional. I'd say it got to the point where um, so the, uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, there's a fantastic author. Um, his name is Neil Gaiman, uh, and he wrote uh, the book Good Omens. It's going to be coming out as a movie. Uh, and he did a he did a interview with Tim Ferriss, and he says that when he writes, what he likes to do is he likes to get his day as close to Groundhog Day as possible, and that's pretty much what I did. Um, I made every day a repeat of the last I I started writing at seven o'clock, um, seven a.m. every day, and I wrote till about um, one or three. And then uh, uh, that that was it. And I just kept at it. And whether uh, most of those hours was just staying at the screen, um, I just gave myself permission to write and write only. And it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty intense, but it was pretty intentful. And uh, it was also a very beautiful experience. Nice. Yeah, I have to imagine. I had the opportunity to listen to that Tim Ferriss interview with Neil Gaiman as well. And mm. the, the couple things that were super fascinated about that and the first out of all the the people that tim has interviewed it seemed like he was the most excited uh guest or rather tim was super excited to have him on the show finally and then just to hear about his process so so i i, I appreciate that very much all right so you sort of figure it out um the the second third fourth fifth how many books that you intend to write will probably be easier and easier every time you do it uh, well, I, I certainly want to commend you. I know that that in an era when we have creative people who are producing great content on so many different mediums like YouTube or Facebook or even Patreon, um, the more control that you can have over your product and how it's created and distributed, the better. So, so I feel like you probably made the right decision. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> you know, we'll see. It's, it's, uh, it's all part of the fun. Yeah, for sure. So the book itself, um, it is it is a novel. I should stop referring to it as a book. It is a work of um, historical fiction post-World War II. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. Um, actually, it's post, post-World War One, uh, but that's mm. fine. Um, so, yeah, Caravan is – well, it was a really interesting story to write. Um, so the story is a story about a man from England who – he gets hired by the magazine to photograph uh, uh, the culture of Morocco and of the Saharan desert. And uh, because he's a journalist, so they send him out there. And uh, while he's there, he takes his caravan across the desert. And during the traveling, he falls in love with the desert. He becomes a little bit obsessed with it because 
it just grants him this peace of mind to move past the uh, uh, the trauma of the First World War and the things that he'd seen and he'd done, that it's allowing him to rebuild himself. And in this rebuilding himself, he he's removing old beliefs about how life could be and what was possible. And by the time he's about halfway through the desert, he realizes that he wants to make a change with his life. And uh, he either has to make a decision whether at the end of his journey, is he going to go back to England and fall back into the old way of things? Or is he going to stay in the desert and live the life that he wants to live? So it's very much a story about adventure and about culture, but there's also a very, um, a very meaningful moral that people could pick up on if they, if they want to. Nice. And, 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 and how was it that, that you settled on, on that time period of that story? How, how, how does that happen? Yeah, so there were two um, two external uh, forces that, if I want to say it that way, that influenced me in picking this uh, specific era. Uh, one was fiction. It was the 1962 film Lawrence of Arabia with uh, Peter O'Toole. And I remember seeing that movie when I was about halfway through the book, and I thought, God, this is this is exactly what I'm thinking of. This is the time period uh, that just it feels right for the desert and for the characters, and I I chose it. It just felt right. Um, in the story, it doesn't actually take place during the First World War, like Lawrence of Arabia. It happens a few years afterwards, so it's during the more like the backdrop of the war. Um, and the other was a was a podcast. Uh, if you guys are familiar with Tim Ferriss, you're probably familiar with Dan Carlin, um, Hardcore History absolutely amazing work of art um it's he does a series on the first world war called uh blueprint for armageddon and this this one really this series that he does each episode is about three and a half four hours long and he does about six of them each episode is just so in-depth and it makes the world that he's talking about real to the point where it feels like a like an epic saga um and it just made me so interested and so captivated, uh, captivated by that time period that I thought, you know what, this isn't a time period that gets a lot of attention. And I think that, um, I think that it'd be very interesting to write about and also to read about. And I think that people need to, um, well, not need to, but I think it'd be interesting if people, uh, paid a little bit more attention to it. I feel like, I feel like you use the proper term that need to is the correct term. Uh, because I think that, that we're doing a bad job with history these days. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I'd say that. <laughs> Do you feel – so, um, Adam, uh, a friend of mine and colleague, Jared Cohen, who's uh, he's actually the CEO of Jigsaw, uh, which is an alphabet company. He just recently released a book called Accidental Presidents, which you should add to your list. But it's a book about the eight vice presidents who've been stepped into the, who have stepped into the Oval Office – and one of my favorite things to ask him when we're in front of an audience, and I'll ask you now, is so how did someone with a completely different background become so drawn to history to write a novel? And to George's earlier question, um, why should readers really care about history and bigger than that, the humanities? Like, why is this important work for people to know and read? Mm, mm. Well, that's that's a lot to unpack. Um, personally, just growing up, I had always been fascinated by the past. Uh, I grew up 
uh, believe it or not, I grew up watching a lot of older movies. And by older, I mean some were even without sound, and a good majority were in, in black and white, and that's just those were the movies I grew up watching. And in doing that, I just had instilled in me this love for history, this wanting to know what it was like uh, for our ancestors and for people who lived before us. And that led to me just reading books and, and becoming interested in uh, things like leaders of the past. And that was just a natural evolution for me. Um, and the reason why I think it's important for leaders to uh, study history, and I think even if it's something as simple as leading yourself, if you're just a person who wants to do better for you, or if you're the head of a, a large company, or you're thinking about becoming the president, right? If this really covers the whole scope of humanity, I'd say study history because history really does repeat itself. And even if it's even if it doesn't apply to your current situation, even if we're not going through a world war or or whatever, you can still learn from the people who did. You can take lessons. And believe me, it's written down. All these amazing people. Uh, uh, they wrote, they wrote diaries. People kept their history, and of course, even though the the hands of time may be uh, a little bit shaking, things may not be 100% all the time. There's so many lessons that we can take away from history, um, and they can apply all all through all the various scopes of life. They can apply to business. They can apply to leadership. They can apply to personal development, to relationships, to art, to whatever, because humans are humans and if you can learn what somebody did 200 years ago that that lesson is still i believe just as applicable to today's world even though it's changing and uh, i think that today it's even more easy or well, i'd say it's even more uh history is more accessible to us through podcasts like dan carlin's through podcasts like this and, and audiobooks i think it's really valuable for uh people especially if you're aspiring to be a leader of some kind to study history Adam, I, I just a quick follow-up question would be, so how do you feel that, um, especially with through your work, how do you feel like in an, in an era where something like history is not uh, valued, especially from a kind of, kind of a pedagogy K-12 university perspective of we have to teach kids STEM, you have to learn these specific skills, and so things like the history that you're talking about are put on the back burner, how do you get more people to care about that? And how does a yeah. narrative like yours help people care about that? Hmm. That's, that's a really interesting, I honestly, I wouldn't know how to get people to care about it because it's like getting people to care about anything. You know, people have their own lives. It's just, I'd say it's hard. Um, I don't, I don't know how I would solve that problem, but I would say, uh, for listeners who are kind of teetering on the edge of getting interested in it, I would say one, you don't need to learn about, um, you don't need to learn about how they used to make bowls in China in the 1300s to, to really understand history. I would say pick something that is immediately grabs your attention because you can apply it to your life. So me, I read a lot of biographies of authors, of artists, of people who were independently ambitious, and also people who uh, uh, went through incredible life stories, not only so I could learn about their life stories, but so I could also apply it to my own life. And that's because I'm passionate about that. Or, and I know other people who own businesses who they, uh, they read books about uh, uh, great military leaders because of the leadership. So I would say it depends on what your goals are, uh, not only in your career or in your relationships, but in your life. Uh, draw something from history that uh, uh, will, one, be meaningful to you and that you can, you can 
take the most out because I'd say if I had to say one sentence that would make you care about history, it would be that history contains all the lessons you could possibly learn before you get exposed to the mistakes that would make you learn them in the first place. <laughs> they, mm. they contain, you know, That's it's the great. real learning ground that happened, you know, and if you can go back and learn what it's like to, uh, uh, to plan this massive invasion, something like D-Day, and you put that into perspective with a book launch or launching a, a new startup, it can give you some perspective. So, and, and you can learn from the times that people failed and how to deal with that before you have to go through it. And while that may not be a, a pass for success or everything going right, I believe that in history there are um, maybe not all the tools, but many of the tools for living a good and meaningful life. Well, I think that that's really well said, and, and I appreciate that. And and I think that you are absolutely doing your part and way more because I think one of the greatest ways for people to understand and appreciate history is by crafting a narrative. And it doesn't have to be a necessarily a, a, a recounting of an actual story that happened, but you are painting a picture in a historical time and talking about what was going on and probably feelings that so many people were feeling during that time and mm. And people are feeling that way today. And obviously narrative is the way that we've communicated before there was the actual written word and everything else around campfires and everything else that it's that the spoken word and story that, that, that helps us to, to remember our past. And, and I, I just think it's so valuable in everything you were talking about, because obviously if, if, if we're so stupid that we can't remember what we've already been through and we've already done this a dozen times or hundreds of times or thousands of times, then we're going to keep doing it over and over again. So, so important. Mm. Yeah. Well said as well. <laughs> so, and I think that there was something else that I really wanted to touch on, uh, just the idea of, of perspective and how, how history can absolutely do that in keeping things in perspective. You think back to what life was like around and after the First World War and how different it was after the Second World War and, and how it's a lifetime different today than it was during that time, that that we have it so good today, but oftentimes it's easy to lose touch of that. And again, it's through the power of narrative that we're going to go back and be entertained, but still learn at the same time. Um, I think that that's such a valuable thing. So you, uh, you're, I'm sure that you're aware of Robert Greene's books, how he went back and, and covered topics like uh, the, the, the laws of power and um, I think seduction, and there were a handful of those. And so he was telling important, he was getting across important lessons, but using historical examples to tell those stories. Oh, yeah. No, those books are, those are, again, I think it's, I think it's one of those works of nonfiction that is just art. It's so well done. Um, I have, he's one of the most respect, one, I have absolutely just a mountain of respect for the guy. He's amazing. So how, how would you counsel um, somebody because we're, we're, we're all telling ourselves stories, right? We, we all have these internal narratives going through our minds, kind of like your, your protagonist in Caravan going through the desert um, trying to decide whether or not he wants to return to England or if he wants to actually pursue his dreams and stay in the desert. So how, how would you counsel somebody who's, who's maybe struggling with the direction that they want their life to go in? Hmm. I would say um, 
one one person I think has a very interesting take on life is Jordan Peterson. Uh, I love listening to some of the talks that he has just because he's a complete, um, just an awesome intellectual. And one of the things that he says is that, you know, if you're ever doubtful about something and, you know, there's some risk, he's like, hell yeah, you should be, you should be worried because, you know, there, there is risk to things and you do have commitments. But also think what's going to happen if I don't take this risk or, or even if it's not risky, or if I don't make this decision, how is that going to affect me uh, a week from now or, or a year from now or 10? And he just says, map out how that would affect you in the future. And I would just say, follow that advice. Um, if it would be a risk that's worthwhile to taking and it's something meaningful to you um, and it would add some adventure to your life, I'd say go for it. And also if it's going to, if it's, if it's going to add value and it's going to help uh, fulfill your purpose, um, I would say pursue it um, and, and just go for it. I love it. Centauri, other thoughts? No, I, I mean, I'm thanks for that you came on to talk about this. I always love hearing about literature, especially historical fiction, which is really hard to pull off in a um, in a good way. So I'm excited to read the book um, and excited awesome. to follow up with this conversation. So Adam, where can, so we, where can we learn more about you? And most importantly, where can we get a copy of the book? Sure. Uh, so if you want to learn more about me, uh, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, that's where I'm most, uh, active. I go live once a week on Wednesday. I talk a little bit about what I'm reading, what I'm writing, and whatnot. Uh, it's really just a, a fun time for me to interact with uh, uh, my audience and answer some questions. So if you want to, you know, even ask, you know, shoot over some questions, you can find me there. Um, and so the book, you can find it on Amazon right now, although here in a little bit, it's going to be, well, it's actually not published yet. It's going to be uh, uh, the release date sorry i can't think right now the release date is going to be here in about two weeks um and after you check it out on amazon you can check it out anywhere excellent well we certainly appreciate it adam any closing thoughts or anything else you'd like to share uh you know what i would just like to take a moment and say again thanks so much for having me on this is a really good chat yeah it was definitely our pleasure so Folks at home, dear listeners, if you enjoyed this as much as I'm sure that Centauri and I both did, follow Adam on Instagram. Check out his his weekly stories on Wednesday, and this show will be live on Saturday, and then probably within a week's time, you will be able to grab a copy of Caravan on Amazon, so do check that out as well. Thanks again, Adam. Awesome, brother. Thanks. And as always... Keep questioning because the struggle is real. Before I go, quick announcement. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step-by-step from figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegrombacher.com forward slash podcast course and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show.